Have you seen me dice bag? <laughs> the Grognard Files. Hello, my name is Dirt the Dice, and this is the Grognard Files podcast talking bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. I'm coming live from my den under the stairs here at Dirt Towers in Adlington, Chorley, in the northwest of England. I'm surrounded by my stuff, and after a year of phenomenal gaming, the shelves of my great library of RPGs to my right are bowing under the strain. I've played a heck of a lot this year compared to previous years. I've made podcasts, a Grognard Files fanzine, which is being posted to patrons right now. I've organised grog meet. I've run games at conventions. I've run a 24-hour game of RuneQuest for charity. I've appeared on other podcasts, and I've played and played and played and played, so much so that I almost shouted my safe word, Fish Finger! It's one of those hobbies, isn't it? Role-playing. It takes hold of you and consumes your thoughts and time. Here on my left is my ridiculous homemade shrine to the actor Caroline Monroe. I'll just give it a tap. Ah, yes. This time she's manifested as herself in a schlock horror movie, Don't Open Till Christmas. A Santa serial killer. Save yourself some time this year and avoid it because it's a load of old bobbins. Over on iTunes, Apple's increasingly moribund download platform, We've hit over 50 ratings, which is great, as it'll draw more people to download the pod to their Walkman and be wired for sound. Number 50 was given by no less than Phil the Dice Mechanic, who said this about the Grog Pod. Rose-tinted wisdom. From the first minute, Dirk draws you in to a nostalgic trip of role-playing games of yesteryear, yet with references to the games of today with wonderful interviews from the glitterati of UK role-playing scene and regular contributions from the likes of At Daily Dwarf and Judge Blythe, this podcast will warm the cockles of any British gamer who remembers fondly the pre-internet, pre-World of Darkness days of role-playing in Blighty. Laugh, learn, shed a tear over the Great White Dwarf betrayal. Honestly, you're in good company here. Thanks for that, Phil. The dice mechanic lent his tinkering to the grogzine too. He contributed a new grognard character class for D&D. I'll talk about how you can get hold of a PDF of the magazine at the end of the show. Right, I'm going to reach down this slim volume. It's the annual report of the grognard files. And a break from our usual format, In here, you'll find a review of some of the gaming highlights of our year in the form of our awards, the Groggies. We talk about our attempts to get more people playing in our monthly face-to-face game, my experience of joining the RPG Academy, going to the largest UK games convention, UK Games Expo, as well as some other thrills and spills. Uh, Just a warning, towards the end, There's a story that isn't explicit and we avoid bad language, but the content is not suitable for minors. 
So if you've got Arthur Scargill in the car with you, you might want to cover his ears during that bit. Peppered throughout the discussion, there's also selections from the listener postbag and an edited extract from the Gringles Pawn Shop RuneQuest actual play that I did earlier in the year. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. Welcome to the room of role-playing rambling for this special potpourri Jolly Boys Annual, the highlight of the Groggy's calendar. It's the end of the pier of the year, Grog Pod. I've had my lens adjusted on my rose-tinted glasses to go all dewy-eyed about the past 12 months. I'm not on my own. Oh, no. He's got his wig off. His hair's down. <laughs> don't start. His don't, hair's don't down. Start. Don't start that. <laughs> He's got one of those blowers with a feather up his nostril. Yes, it's Judge Blythe, our resident rose lawyer. Hello, Blythe. Hello, Dirk. Oh, stop fingering those baubles on the Christmas tree and come over here. I've got... Um, stop saying fingering. Yeah, well, have a hobnob. So it's the end of the year show, Blythe. Are you up for this? I am. You don't look like it. Come on. I, oh, you... you None of those people, aren't you? Christmas, New Year. Oh. <laughs> right, OK. Now, I brought along my spurious envelopes for this OK, bit. good. So the way it'll work is I'm going to pluck... Yes. ...from the spurious envelope collection... Yes. Something for us to discuss okay. to reflect on the year. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we've got a lot to cover today. So mm-hmm. let's uh, keep a brisk pace. I'm going to give you some um, vital statistics for 2017. Okay. How many systems do you think we played this year? Um, Twelve. Twelve. Right. Well, when you're considering 2015, when we started this podcast, we uh, we were playing with four different game systems. Last year we peaked at nine game systems. This year, twenty different twenty games, twenty between us. I think in twenty fifteen, I did. I didn't think there were twenty systems. <laughs> As a grog now, I didn't think there were twenty. Because <laughs> yeah. as traveller, traveller D and D, RuneQuest, Cthulhu. That's it. Yeah, anymore. <laughs> apparently there are. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. So how do you feel about that? Because you're a man who likes it. Um, deeper rather than wider, don't you? <laughs> well, yes. Um, well, I think uh, it's slightly misleading. You've been slightly misleading, aren't you? Because we've played something more than others. So some of those 20 we have played, and we're gonna, probably going to talk about them in more detail. So, for example, 5th edition D&D, we've played a lot of this year, haven't we? Yeah, in fact, we I would say that we've played that more than anything else. Whereas other games we've just played a little bit of. So we played a little bit of James Bond, didn't we? The James yeah. Bond RPG. I, I think this year has probably been the year of the one-shots, but you're right, there's been yeah, a couple Yeah, we are. we've played a lot of one-shots. A couple of campaigns. Yeah. Some of that's convention gaming as well. So. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's new. But you're right, I do, I do prefer playing one system over a... I like to explore the system properly. Yeah, do it yeah. properly. You do it properly, yeah. yeah. All the ins and outs of it. So, uh, number of uh, hours played this year. Oh, I, I can't guess that. I don't know. Two, 200. 200 is about right, yeah. Oh, okay. And when you compare it last year to uh, 120, mm. we've played a lot this year, haven't we? Played a lot. It does feel like we've played a lot this year. That's no bad thing. No. And the other factor is that we've played with more people, haven't we? Yes. We had a bit of yeah. a dodgy start to the year because we had this um, idea that we wanted to play with more people than just me, you and Eddie on a mm. regular basis. So our regular 
um, monthly game. We decided to try and do it in a game shop, didn't we? We did, and that didn't go particularly well, did it? No. We had, um, I think, I was running Numenera, wasn't I? Yeah. And I think I'd run a couple of sessions before Christmas, and then in the new year, was it January? It was January. We had, a, yeah. we had our first game in the game, <laughs> the game shop. And I, I had my big, it's the big finale to my Numenera scenario that I'd run over three sessions. And it just turned into an absolute riot. I think I'd built, I'd built up um, what I like to think was a very subtle ending for this scenario with lots of options and choices to make and decisions to make for you as players where you'd landed uh, in yeah. a strange other world. And there was all sorts of, sort of conundrums there, wasn't there? Of whose side to take, who was telling the truth. It was, it was all, very subtle. It was, it, was all, it was all there. It was very subtle. It was all there. And we ended up in this game shop, surrounded by, by younger people. Yes. Younger people. Playing card games, playing the card stuff, weren't they? What, what is it? Imagine the gathering, gathering and all yeah. that malarkey. And it was just a riot. It was just a load of people shouting. And I think my scenario distilled it distilled down into a kind of he's the bad guy, go and kill him. Yeah. All the subtlety went out of the window. Yeah. So I think at one point I seem to remember you going, Are you gonna hit him then? Over the top of the <laughs> I think I might Because it wasn't right, get wasn't on it? with it. Get on with it. I don't think I, I don't think I ever wanted a game. Well no, I have wanted a game to end more. Mm. I have but in, in recent memory I don't think I've ever wanted a game to end more than that one because it was just it was just a bear pit yeah riot and noise I really want us <laughs> to I really want us to find a way of playing in a game show because it will mean that if you have a regular uh, game session um, it will mean that uh, more people come won't it you know you'll be able to have a regular thing but to try and counteract it, what I agreed with the game shop owner is for him to open up the shop. Yeah. Open up the shop for 20 quid on a Tuesday night for yeah. us, and you'd find some players to play with. Yeah. Snatch your hand off. Snatch it. Yeah. And now we know why. Because <laughs> no one turned up. <laughs> well, nobody, nobody turned up. But his um, son turned up with his uh, wife. Yes. And uh, they were looking after the shop. But they also played with us, and it took two two months for us to realise we were paying them twenty quid to play with us. Yes, we were paying them to play. Weren't we? <laughs> it was a kind of odd. Made us feel comfortable. It did, yeah. It, it did seem right. comfortable. We're paying you to play with us, and you know what? They weren't that interested. Yeah, they weren't that interested. They weren't interested. No. I think some started knitting in the middle of it. Yeah, was a bit of knitting went on. I think that was. I think for, for Eddie, that was the, that was the, the giddy limit, wasn't it? Yeah. I think for him, I think as in all these things. Eddie often perceives he's a little bit ahead of perceiving the way things are going with us. We're both we're born optimists who say, no, 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 the fact she's started knitting during the game isn't a bad sign at all. It's just what people do. They're young people. They like to knit during role-playing. I'm sure if you Google knitting and role-playing, yeah. it'll come up as, it's a thing people do. You know, yeah, people yeah. who play, play these modern games. So There's probably clubs of people who play Fate accelerated yeah. and knit at the same time it can't be a problem whereas Eddie's view was this is stupid I don't think we should play with these people again she started knitting yeah. you know what he was right he was right <laughs> I think the, the moment for me was when I was in the middle of my big uh, finale and um, the fellow was leaving he said don't forget pay him 20 quid and that was, uh, it was <laughs> yes. I felt like uh, you know I don't know it felt it, 
felt less than salubrious. Mm. Did a bit, yes, it didn't. So it was, it was a bit of a ropey start to the year. It was, wasn't it? yeah. It was, it was. Well, right, it was a ropey start to the year. Well, let's um, let's go into one of my spurious envelopes okay. here. And this is a groggy award to talk about our highlights. Okay. And it is the Messianic Megalomaniac Award. So this is the GM <laughs> Award, this, the Games Mastering Award for moments in Games Mastering. Okay. So what about you then? What, what kind of Games Mastering year have you had? Well, I've had a, I've had a, I suppose I've had a very good Games Mastering year, haven't I? I've, I think I've Games Mastered more this year than at any other time because in January... Uh, and this, despite the, the dodgy Numenera game, the bear pit, and the knitting incident, the, the, the positive thing about January was that we started to play Storm King's Thunder online every other Wednesday, didn't we? Yeah. Um, so I've, I've run that for the, for the last year, every other Wednesday, with a few little break for Easter and summer, but not much, so pretty consistently. And, and that's a new thing for me, because although I've, you know, I've, I've done a lot of games mastering, on and off, you know, two sessions, three sessions here, that kind of thing. But I've never run a game for a whole year. No. Um, and it might be worth reminding people what you've done um, at this time last year, actually, when we were looking forward to yes, 2017. Was, yeah. You'd only just got the package, hadn't you? This yeah, Roll20. Roll 20, I bought package. the package on Roll20, which gives you all the maps and all the plans and all the tokens and everything. Yeah, and it's really added to it, hasn't it? Because mm. we've actually abandoned Roll20 for the um, video and talk uh, because yes. we're doing that through hangouts aren't we but yeah. we've got a separate yeah. screen open just to have the yeah. maps on and mm. couch sheets but that's been that's been a very enjoyable experience actually and i think it's kind of given made me confidence the games master grow a bit um and i think the reason for that is you realize it's about having i know this is a games master award but actually it's about having good players isn't it and that means there's lots more opinions there's lots more going on, and there's six players who are committed to it, who are into it, who turn yeah. up every other week and turn up and enjoy it, you know. Yeah. And that makes a massive difference as a games master. I think, I think up to this year, my, slice, <laughs> this sounds silly and a bit naive, but my naive assumption about being games master was, as a games master, your job is to entertain the players. Yeah. Sit down with these people and entertain them. Uh, and what I've realized this year by doing more and more games mastering consistently over a period of time is that really whilst to some extent that's true you are there to entertain them it's about the players yeah if you give you get good players it's good to be a games master it's easy to be a games master it's more fun to be a games master yeah well i'm going to talk about an affliction that i had at the start of the year uh, I suffered at the start of the year. <laughs> you ought to air this. Well, at the start of the year, I suffered from what's known uh, around our way as GMitis. Oh, right, that affliction, not the other one. <laughs> so, the GMitis, um, GMitis is, uh, well, it, it, Eric Bristol, remember Eric Bristol, the dart player? I do, yes. He was a world champion dart player, mm. and he got to a position where he had a loss of confidence. So much that he couldn't throw a dart. Really? And they call it dartsitis. Darts and I had GMitis. What brought it on, Dirk? <laughs> I think I know what brought it on. But anyway, we're doing that for effect, aren't we? <laughs> what brought it on? I'm sure the listeners want to know what brought that on. <laughs> Even though I know. And I'll now have a little sleep for five minutes when we go over it again. Help me through it. Uh oh, right. here we go. It's not another fish fingers scenario, is it? Well, it, 
So at the beginning of the year, um, well, at the end of uh, last year, 2016, I was invited by the RPG Academy to do RuneQuest, yes. the trial of RuneQuest. And we talked about this before, haven't we? And they did an assessment of, of it, and it was put out over four episodes. And unbeknownst to me, when I turned up uh, on the evening, they asked me if I would be okay with it being on Twitch and uh, for it to be broadcast and preserved for eternity on that the YouTube that yeah, everyone's talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And I was all right with it. I wasn't feeling too good, I had a cold, um, but you know, I thought, Presser, these people have come from uh, Cincinnati. They've not come from Cincinnati. Well, you're still they, in Cincinnati. Had, I was up at, f- at 12 <laughs> o'clock at the, You were up at three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> that was a leisurely Sunday afternoon. Yeah, when you put it like that. <laughs> so, uh, uh, run it. Now, uh, the game went okay, but I, what, what is it forced me to do is see myself for the first time as a games master. But did you watch it? I did watch it, oh, yeah. that's your first mistake, isn't it? I did watch it, I listened to it, and it... it it, I don't know whether it was a mistake or it's a good thing, because what mm-hmm. it did, it showed me... W- what I do as a games master, yeah. how I play, and some of the features of my game, and um, some of my blind spots, some of the things that I do. So, for example, and I don't need to tell you this because you've been on the other side of my game. Really receiving it all. You should have just asked me. I'd have told you. Because they didn't know the rules, so they were they were new to the game. Um, in those situations, I just let the adventure take carry you along. So it was Gringle's Pawn Shop. Allowed it to carry along. They played a team of dubs breaking into and uh, in, into Grindel's pawn shop. They didn't know the news, so I, I didn't let the rules get in the way of it. I let them. I let them play, but I kind of barreled along as they were kind of playing the characters and doing their things. And at the end, I don't want to spoil it for you, but they all died. It was it was a total <laughs> party kill. I killed. It's not spoiled it for me, but I imagine it spoiled it for them. <laughs> <laughs> but what? What what it made me realise um, about my about about myself is that so regardless of what's happening, mm. I barrel on. I keep going. <laughs> I keep going. You, do, you, know, you I, barrel on. Yeah. I, I, keep, I think I'm equally blind to this because I'm used to you game mastering. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I keep the pace going. No, mm. I keep it. Yeah, yeah. Keep it pace. Keep it punchy. So. Combined with me looking at that and thinking, oh, those things happen. You started Storm King's Thunder. Yes. And what Storm King's Thunder did and what um, D&D 5th edition does is that it shifts the balance, doesn't it? It shifts the balance um, from the games master to the player because what it does, it gives the player everything they need. So the, the onus on you as a player is to be smart about using your yes. resources yeah. and deploying your resources and as you say it's great it's great because you've got a group of players who've all got a different set mm. of skills and abilities yeah. and it's making sure that each of you are using them at the, at the right time but what that does it shifts it over to the players doesn't it so yeah. it's no longer like you said you're no longer the centre of the universe are you? No 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 no. It often it's what, what I've realised this year is that being a good games master is often about just putting players into a situation yeah. that they have to react to. 
But I, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that. No. I think it's the mechanics. I think it's mechanically what happens. Yeah. To, yeah. You, you know what D and D does. It hands mm. it over to you, doesn't it? It says it's yes. like what you what you said to us up front was, I'm not going to tell you what you can do. Oh no, no, no. And that that was the thing because there's six players and I can't remember all your abilities because as as you progress in D and D fifth edition, more, more so than I mean we don't know about third and fourth. I admit that, but more so in the early editions of D and D you acquire more and more and more abilities. So even as a fighter, you acquire abilities, don't you? It's not just about hitting things, it's about doing lots of other things. Yeah. And it's impossible for me as a games master to remember what you can do. No. I just can't, there's six of you. you know, no. By the time you're fourth, fifth, sixth level, I, I don't know what feats you've got, I can't remember what spells you've got. So what, with it. so what I'm saying is that, that forces you as a player to take responsibility yes. if you can yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know last, last year we ran the uh, the year before we ran the traveller campaign yeah. and it was fairly rules light wasn't it yeah. but what that meant is that there was less investment yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah? and yeah. there was more onus on events that happen yeah in the um, in the story mm-hmm. and I guess that's what I saw of myself when I, when, when I saw it now what the RPG Academy said is that if you're having fun, you're mm. doing it right. Yeah. Now, as you know, I've got an inbuilt imposter syndrome that's built up over years <laughs> and feeling that I'm no good at anything. <laughs> but this, this thing of if you're having fun, you're doing it right, I'm not buying it, I'm not having it. Well, did he mean, I mean, if you're having fun, but no one else is? Yeah, nobody's mean everyone's having fun. I mean, if you're having fun and no one else is having fun, you're it's not, not doing it right. It's not about fun, is it? This, this, these games are not about fun. It's no, not. That's secondary. Yeah. That's <laughs> secondary to something else, something bigger than fun. Surely, because you make it sound frivolous. Because I think it's one of those things where you know you hear it a lot, don't you? In the in in discourse around the games. That people torpedo arguments by saying, ah, what, well, is everybody having fun? Yes, yeah. But what I'd say is that if you're turning up for a game, you're predisposed to fun, aren't you? You're predisposed to fun, yes. And yes. I mean, the person knitting, was she having fun? Probably, but in idols. You're having fun, but you're knitting in the middle of my game. But the, the other thing is, the, the other third is, I'll move away from this subject in a moment, my GMI. T- it's a serious affliction, and I don't think you're taking it seriously. I, I'm not enough. taking it seriously, no. <laughs> the other part of my GMI t- was um, we played a very long game of uh, D&D, where we were in the Underdark, and we were running a, a, a known market. Mm. Yeah? It went on all day. And we're running. We're, I didn't run it, by the way, just for yeah. legal reasons. My lawyers have instructed me to say I didn't run that game. Um, so we're in a game. We're in a game. Yeah. It were high. It was surrounded by high-level characters. It was. It was. Yeah. It, it was like running. It was like being in The Apprentice, but knowing you had a fireball spell in your back pocket. <laughs> but somewhere the, there was no opportunity to use it. Yeah. So we were running this, uh, running this business, weren't we? And we spent best part of ninety minutes negotiating with those mushroom creatures. What they're called? Uh, ma- ma- I don't know. Mikey, Mikey, Odds or Mikey, Mikey, Mushroom creatures. The mushroom creature. We negotiated with the mushroom creature because somebody in the party realised that if we had mushroom creatures, they would be able to uh, recycle the waste in our castle. Yeah. So if we um, employed them 
on reasonable rates to mm. be part of our castle, they would recycle uh, waste. Someone realised that. Someone not, not me. Again, my lawyers have told it. <laughs> not me. It wasn't me. Some other, someone else. And do you see, the, now this is where I come back to my GMITs, you yep. see, is realising that the precision, the detail, yes. the level, the, the, the yep. depths of discussion that people entered mm. into, I would never be able to do that. No, no. And I'd, I think I'd be similar. We, we, would, we have a style of waving it through. Yeah. As in fact, if we introduced mushroom creatures and someone did focus on the usefulness that they may provide in terms of getting rid of waste, we'd, we'd feel slightly deflated that we'd failed as Games Masters because they picked up on that. Yeah, yeah. But that's not what we want them to do. We want them to do something else with it. Yeah. So, yeah. But you can't deny that those people that were playing with us mm. were having fun yes. with this encounter. Yeah. And it was a funny encounter because it, it kept farting yeah. spores, didn't it? It and did, yeah. Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. So my, my cure for GMitis was um, a game at Convergence where I uh, played the Luther Arkwright uh, game. And again, it's that realisation that it needs players, doesn't it? I, I found yeah. my mojo back when there was a group of uh, six engaged players. Yeah, that, and that's what it's about, engagement of players. And it, it sounds obvious, but it's not obvious because, as, you, as I said earlier, we, we have experiences in the dim and distant past of trying to get more players and forgetting people who weren't really committed to it. And that meant it was really difficult as a games master to feel you had to entertain people. Whereas when you get committed players, you don't have to entertain them they entertain themselves and it moves along it's much more collaborative which is, is kind of refreshing and makes you relax a bit as a games master I think yeah um, but also you have got that problem as you say it, there's some, I think there's some there is some truth in the if you're having fun you're doing it right but it's the thing of if you're all do, if you're all having fun and the problem is you do get people who play it differently and want different things from it and sometimes that creates a bit of a clash I think yeah in terms of and there's we're different not, we're having, some of us are having fun we're not all having fun. But it's uh, fun isn't an absolute either, is, there, is it? There's like mm. great, there's degrees of fun, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. And it's fun, there's, there's fun, yeah, there's fun and fun within a game as well, yeah. isn't there? So I put a downer on this first part by introducing the concept that these games are not about fun. They're not about fun. Well, I don't think they are. <laughs> I think if you had a statistic, your statistics earlier, if you had a statistic of how much fun we've had playing these games over the whole of our lives, 50 50. <laughs> it's 50 50, isn't it? Yeah, we've still stuck at it. What does that say about us? <laughs> we're still carrying on. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. So half the time, we're doing it wrong, aren't we? Well, or other people are. I like to think other people are. I think we're always doing it right. It's just other people spoiling it. And for that reason, you win this year's Messianic Megalomaniac Award. Thank you very much. Well done. <laughs> the RPG Academy. The RPG Academy is a podcasting powerhouse from America who have a series of shows in their repertoire. Their faculty meetings feature tips and techniques on how to run games. They also have special guests in their show-and-tell shows, as well as other programmes. They also host a series of actual play shows such as The Campaigns with ongoing stories or Field Trips 
which are light-hearted one-shots, or the trials, which they try again for the first time. What follows is an edited extract from their series of podcasts, The Trial of RuneQuest. It's also on their YouTube channel, if you really want to see my stupid face sniffing and sneezing. When they wanted to put RuneQuest on trial, I offered my services as a guest games master. They played a team of ducks, a death drake squad, sword brothers, who were asked by their rune lord to find and return the Eye of the Halfbird to Quackford in Dragon Pass. The ducks are being oppressed by the lunar army who are occupying the area. They need to break into Gringle's famous pawn shop in Apple Lane to find the item. Gringle was seen as a lunar collaborator. Despite his heroic past, he's a tax collector and not to be trusted. I used elements from the old school scenario and the updated version included in the Hero Quest supplement, The Sartar Companion. Michael was Purple Eye, Scott was Malhard, and Caleb, well, Caleb changed the name of his duck to Geoffrey. Hmm. At this point, they've got into the pawn shop where they killed on sight a burly barbarian who appeared to be roasting another duck over a spit. They rescued Quack John, Gringle's factum, who appears to be from Brooklyn, and he's explaining the situation. Things might not be as they seem. There's a growing tension, and the ducks have waddled into the middle of it. Uh, King Kangal, he's turned against him. He's having poison poured into his ear by some witch, and now they want the eye of the of the half-bird. We were led to believe that they already had the eye. That That's why we're here, is to get the eye from Gringle. Oh, he's got it, but he's not going to let them have it. But but I want it. You want it? I want the eye. Who are you working for? Ducks work for other ducks. Yeah, our rune master is Maddock. Maddock of Quackford? Yes, the, the right and honorable. Come with me. Sure. Okay, let's go. And he leads you into... Uh, Another room, and you can see him meditating in the middle of the room. A big guy, old guy, bald, with a beard and braid, and he seems to be in a trance. And in front of him, there's a, a an iron shard treasure chest, and he's kind of looking over that. And around the place, you can see into the four corners, you can see statues of a, a young god with bags of merchandise around it. And uh, he kind of sits there. He doesn't move apart from an occasional twitch as he, as he sits there. Do we get the feeling that he's at peace or he's like intimately concentrating, maybe keeping forces at bay? He, he's, he's intently concentrating. Okay. So can we... Is Let's there any just, way for me to determine more, like, what he's doing or help him? Maybe I'm just going to ask the old guy. Yeah, Who, what's he doing? Who's this guy? He kind of pulls his hands up. Gringo, I have sword brothers from Quackford. Uh, they, they say that they want the eye. Yeah, and uh, also any eggs you might have of, of the half-bird, too. Just... Oh, I've no eggs of the half-bird, he says as he looks up. I've no eggs. I have one egg, an old iron cardinal egg. It was once given to me. Uh, but who wants an iron cardinal? Very good question. Certainly not I. So if you want, if you want the eye, you'll have to go and get it. 
That's why we're here. Just point us in the right direction. On the other side of that door. That that door? There's eight baboons. You're going to have to get it off them. Can we burn the building down? Well, who left baboons in here? Hey, this is my temple. Do you mind if we burn it down? So, wh so why did you let baboons in your temple? I didn't. I got mercenaries. Mercenaries, they're in there. Mercenary baboons? He points in there and uh, uh, quite gun. Well, we've, we've had a problem with the mercenaries. Uh, they're all dead. Oh, those were the mercenaries. You didn't check the expiration date before you bought your mercenaries. Happens all the time. Two weeks in the fridge and then it goes bad. So uh, Gringle explains that he's contained the, the baboons. He's kind of uh, put a, a warding on the, on the door. And he says, on the other side, they're in that. And he, he says that they're, they're searching for a tooth uh, that was sold to him. He, he, but he, he, he was expecting an attack um, tonight, but he wasn't expecting an attack from, uh, from baboons. He was expecting an attack from uh, King Kangal's posse that he's raised. And right now, they're carousing in the, uh, in, uh, the tin inn. They're waiting for the lunars to uh, come to hang him from the gallows. That doesn't sound pleasant. So what are you going to do? Hmm. Well, if you are using your magics to contain the baboons, is there any way we could set them upon the guys in the inn? Oh, that's that's good good thinking. I'd like to see you convince those baboons to do anything for you. What if we just brought the guys in the inn in to talk to the baboons? I'm Ooh, sure talking yeah. will deteriorate quickly. Or we convince the baboons that they have the tooth. Either way, you know, oil and water, water and oil. That's a good idea. Whatever happens, you've got you to help us. Get me home to Quackford. I've been here for a long time with Gringle, but it's not safe anymore. Well, we can definitely do that. We just need to accomplish our mission here. So, are are these are these baboons wild, crazy beasts, or are they intelligent? They're intelligent. So they're kind of a a, a tribal sentient race. As as humanity uh, worshippers, you have a, a dislike of them because they tend to worship the dead uh, and uh, uh, shamanistic. They're kind of in touch with spirits, whereas Humact, you believe that there's honor in death, and death is final. All right, so how about this? The, the, the troops that are in the tavern, I have a feeling if they saw a duck, they would probably try to capture the duck for the bounty, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so let's say we one of us goes to the inn, gets the attention of these guys, runs, and then brings them right towards the front door. At that point, we open the front door, and then they'll run into the baboons, we'll get out of the way, and then maybe those guys will duke it out. It sounds like a good idea to me. They could combine forces like a baboon Voltron and destroy the town. Bad they're, idea. They're not talkers. Can, can we talk to the baboons through the warding? Oh, yeah. Okay. Can you just open the front door with your spell? Or does, or does if we take the spell down... It's all all bets are off. What's happened now? You so you're in you're in um in in the kind of temple area. 
There's only a single story. So uh, beyond the uh, door he's pointing to, um, where he's put the warding, there's a corridor. And in there he has uh, various rooms. And that's where the baboons are searching right now for the tooth that they want to recover. But also on the other side of that door is the eye and the egg that you desire. Can you tell us specifically where these are at? So we don't have to search for them once we get inside there? What Grindel says is, no. I made a mistake because I asked the mercenaries to hide the items. Uh, I don't know where they are. They, they, they didn't tell you? No, I, I assumed they'd protect us. All right, so we need to get rid of the baboons first, and then we can do some old-fashioned searching through these rooms to find what we need. So priority is get rid of the violent creatures. I think that's the thing. So we either go to the... That's our option. Go to the tavern and try to convince them to go into the tower and fight the baboons, or we go, we convince the baboons that the tooth isn't here, it's in the tavern. Ooh. Because we got a bunch of drunks over there, a bunch of baboons show up. Story pretty much writes itself. So so uh, how good are you at convincing people? I have a, a, a spell that will befuddle enemies, but I don't think it will make them easier to convince of things. I don't have any supernatural ability to convince people, but, uh, you know. The... Well, we know the Lunars are on the way. Right, but we don't want to wait till they get here. But but we could have a letter delivered. They don't know the Lunars aren't coming. Oh, who? Maybe it says, I know you expected us to be there by now, but we sent us ahead. Please go ahead and kill Gringle. Who's going to deliver a letter for us? The three the three duck trench coat maneuver. <laughs> Once these guys' uh, argument about uh, can they form a two duck high messenger somehow with a third duck as an arm and try and just pretend to be a kid in an adult-sized trench coat that drags behind us. We just put a glove on the end of a sword. Okay, okay that wasn't hard. We, I figured that one out a long time ago. So once once they come up with this brilliant idea, I waddle back in and say, Ah, I found a map. Okay, you can roll on your map-making skill. Your map to sight. Whoo, close, but no cigars. Missed it by nine. Uh, oh, that's surprising. I got it. 21 under 25. Finally pulling your weight. <laughs> so Jeffrey says, give that to me. And uh, you kind of make out that it, it is, it, it's a drawing, a crude drawing of uh, the pawn shop. And it's kind of indicating that it's in the eastern corner of the building. Gringle comes over. Oh, that's my, that's my bedroom, that is. What? Why did they have a map of your bedroom? All right. So we have an idea of where our objective is. We need to get rid of the danger, though. So the baboons are still in there. We need to get them out. We make a fake map of the tavern, pointing that that's where they hit it. Uh, and then we tell them we will trade them this map for... But they're not looking for the gem. Them. They're looking for a tooth. Right, right. We make a fake map. To the tooth. How about we just tell them where it is? Because they're going to beat us to death before they believe us. They're baboons. Uh, can I shout through the door at the baboons? Hey, baboons! Hey! Hey! Do they respond? <laughs> uh, can you understand what I am saying, baboons? That is terrifying. Review of the year. Welcome back. Do you want a mince pie? Um, go on then. I ate them, me. I do. I ate them. Yeah. It's a bit like that thing about fun you were saying earlier. <laughs> it's, it's, they're not horrible, but I still don't eat them because it's Christmas. Like Christmas pudding, isn't it? Who likes Christmas pudding? Yeah. Does anybody like it? My, fa my favourite is... Throw it away. 
My theory of this is, if it was so nice, you'd eat it all the time, wouldn't you? You'd eat it all the time. There's two things at Christmas. Christmas pudding and cranberry sauce. I buy them every year and throw them in the bin. Yeah. Because no one wants it. Yeah. I've thrown them in the bin already. I've planned them ahead. I've bought them and thrown them away. The next award is the Olive Kinnisberg Memorial Award. <laughs> Olive Kinnisberg Memorial Award. Uh, one of my favourite characters who died this year. Uh, head bitten off by Shantak. It happens. Okay, so uh, this is a, a, a player's award, so uh, a player and playing and games we play. Mm -hmm. A very broad category. Yes. But uh, let's... Uh, let's that leads us to waffle on aimlessly. Yeah, we'll <laughs> waffle on aimlessly. We don't want to straightjacket ourselves. We, we, you're making this up, so... <laughs> might make it difficult for yourself. Okay. <laughs> so, Olive Kingsburg Memorial Award, playing, players, playing. Mm. I'm going to start off. What? I thought I was... What? <laughs> Say that again. I'm going to start off because uh, we start players, with players, players, play players playing and playing. Players. <laughs> I got the Olive Kinnisberg, but what's players? Say it slowly, because <laughs> people know what you're talking about for a change. Players yeah. playing yeah. and games we played. I might have changed it. All right. It didn't sound down. like that first time, but go on. I'll go with it. Right. As a games master, I'm just going to barrel through this now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the highlight of our uh, highlights from our playing this year mm. and play, uh, plays we've played with so I'm going to start off this time because I, I think I, it was a bit of a downer weren't it on that previous you did, yeah. yeah. so I'm going to put you on a downer and <laughs> I'm going to mention I'm going to mention uh, UK Games Expo oh you dogs so uh, your New Year's resolution was to attend more conventions, yes. play at more conventions, games master at more conventions. How did you get on with that? Uh, um, not very well, no. thanks to a certain Theresa May. Theresa May. General you were inconsolable for a couple I was weeks. inconsolable, wasn't I? <laughs> I was genuinely inconsolable. It was a terrible thing. It was yeah. just that my, my... What happened is, I was sat there at work, I had my phone on the side of my desk and I thought these notifications from the Guardian newspaper comes through, giving my Metropolitan Elite credentials there, the Guardian newspaper came through on my phone. Theresa May called General Election, 8th of June. I thought, I thought is it April the 1st? What's going on? <laughs> and I looked at it and then everyone else in the office. So I thought, oh my God, she's called General Election. Now at that point, as an electoral administrator, as a professional in local government, I should have thought, hmm, I need to think about getting the postal votes printed and sorting out the nomination packs for the candidates and uh, getting the poll cards printed and distributed. There's a range of things that should have gone through my mind. You know what went through my mind? <laughs> oh, I'm going to miss Expo! Oh, no! That's what went through my mind before anything else. Oh, my employees don't listen to this. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was, I was in a state, I was inconsolable for, pretty much, I was inconsolable until it was over with, until you were back from Expo, because yeah. then it was, it was over with, I thought, well, nothing I can do about it. Well, in well it all worked out well for her though, didn't it? Yeah. Nice to know that yeah. all that effort gave us a strong and stable government. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's the truth. Your sacrifices resulted. Yes, my sacrifices has given the country stable government. Yeah, it doesn't mean a lot of certainty 
And that's nice to know, isn't it? And at this time, we don't want endless compromise and damaging, no. Uh, no. damaging uncertainty. So no. and that's what she did. And that's what she got. Yeah, really she's the cool. ultimate fun prevention officer. She's, she's, a, she's <laughs> she is. the ultimate. So I went to UK Games Expo. FPQ, fun prevention queen. Yeah. <laughs> FPE, fun prevention empress. Go on. Sorry, I'm just not going to enjoy this bit now. But go on. Get so on. I went on a field trip. Because my New Year's resolution was to learn more about what had happened in the 90s and the idea of story games. So I took the opportunity of going to UK Games Expo to play some of those type of games. Um, so I played with um, Simon Burley, who is uh, better known. He's a future guest of ours. Um, he's uh, better known for his um, writing of uh, Golden Heroes. The code of that he ran for us was uh, Sojo and Shonen, which is like a a manga type. Mm. You know in Power Rangers, you start off they start off on these humans. Yes. Then they get superpowers. Yeah. And then they end up in big robots. Yes. Then, I've, I've seen a few of those, but I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. Uh, and then they end up as a big robot. They all join up. Yeah, that's right. So it's kind of an escalation mm. of, of things. And that's how the narrative works in this game. So and the dice multiply as you get superpowers, yeah. then a suit, and then in a mega suit. So you end up like multiplying hundreds of dice yeah. um, as you get in a really big suit. Mm. Um, so it ended up being quite a balmy game, quite mm. gonzo. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was fun. Yeah. And let's face it, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. You're doing right? it right, yeah. yeah. I wasn't having fun. There you go. <laughs> I think I need a safe word for why you're discussing Games Expo. I'm mildly disturbing. Or not more than mildly, actually. I missed that formal. It's formal fear of missing out, writ large, isn't it? Yeah. That I've got. It is. But it's not a fear of missing out. It, you did miss out. I did miss out. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a fear of it. It's more. It's it not formal. It's more. So if, you know, if, if it's getting too much, we just shout it. More, 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 more. Because <laughs> I'll, I'll just barrel on anyway. You will. I know. This is what you're doing. You're not changed. <laughs> And the second game I played was like a story uh, game was uh, World of Darkness. Mm, yeah. Amy Williams. Amy Williams is a games uh, master. It's very clever, cleverly set up because we played archetypes in a cabin in the woods kind of set up. Yeah. And it was one of those uh, creepy house things based on Alice in Wonderland. So we were playing archetypes and it worked really well because, again, the players were really engaged and... Mm. Did I say it? It was the first time that I experienced... I, I don't want to criticise anybody I've played with, but it's okay. it's the first time that <laughs> I felt like I was role-playing. Yeah. Because we yeah, were playing, yeah. it, they, they were in character, and we don't normally do that kind of thing, do we? But by playing the archetypes, it allowed you know the annoying brother to be annoying. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. The, the geeky, geeky, gothy one to... Um, to behave like a geek. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know, it just seemed to work well, that's really interesting. well. That's, I think that's a really interesting thing that you should, that you should say that because it, it's almost as if, weirdly, you, you've, in, you've felt that you're playing a role when you're playing a very, very stereotypical character. Yeah. Because a stereotypical character allows you to combine playing a game and playing a role. Yeah. Is, is it not? Does it not perhaps suggest that a very subtle and detailed and well-drawn character would be difficult to play in a game scenario because 
they're a bit too real. Yeah. Maybe a, maybe a stereotype in the context of a game is is ideal because yeah. it gives you very very clear markers about how you should react and what you would do. You yeah. Know? And it was an example of seeing a games master who wasn't trying too hard. Yes, yeah. You know, just kind of putting things subtly in the way mm. that were really creepy because he didn't make a big deal of them. Yeah. And it was more mysterious because he just mentioned that, whereas I would layer it on yeah. um, thick, um, they were just like, yeah, mm. the picture moves. <laughs> That's all it was. Yeah, you know, yeah. The picture moves. But that goes back to what I was saying earlier, doesn't that? That's yeah. the thing of what you've got there is players, good players who are engaged with it, playing a role, which means the games master just has to do less and less work. The games yeah. master just has to nudge things in a particular direction or give a particular suggestion about this or that. And the players drive it, not the games master. It is, as you said, it's the shift in power, isn't it? the balance shifts. Yeah. You get good players with good characters that they're engaged with. And the games master just has to do less and less. And uh, the third experience I had of uh, story gaming on my field trip was uh, Hero Quest. So Hero Quest in Glorantha and Ian Cooper run that mm. game. Now, Hero Quest is definitely a game that needs to be experienced rather than explained because it's uh, it's fitting, I guess, because it is a narrative game based yeah. in a mythological setting where um, stories are passed on it's fitting that it should, be, it should be like that but mechanically what struck me about it was uh, Hero Quest's ability to scale conflict resolution so whereas we're used to playing in Glorantha where um, each blow by blow yeah. action yeah. Is, uh, is important I think the first thing I said to him when I saw the couch sheet where's all my stuff yeah, there's yeah. nothing on yeah. me there's nothing on here what, yeah. what, what have it's I got a sketchy kind of <laughs> yeah and you know it's because you have to describe it. You know you have to describe it in the in the, uh, in the game. You know your weapons will have aspects and they'll all take, uh, form part of um, the resolution that you mutually agree. Um, and the, resu the the result is often uh, you succeed, but yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, you can do that, but. Mm. Um, I think seeing it in play uh, really opened my eyes to the opportunities uh, with that. And I suppose uh, in practical thing, practical, it probably resulted in me not. I've got I've got Hero Quest Glorantha, but um, Blades in the Dark um, kind of fulfills that. But my contender for the Olive Kingsburg, Take it slowly. Kingsburg the plays, plays, playing and playing what, games. The Olive, the what? The what? The Olive Kinsberg? Kinsberg players. I'll write it all down. I'll write it all down. I'll write it. You're right. It's in the show notes. Okay. All right. If what? Olive Kinsberg P P P P P players and game P and P award. So what's your contender? Have you forgotten? Because I thought I've forgotten. I've forgotten. You've lost me now. Well, as a player, my experience as a player have been quite interesting this year. Because this is a year that for the first time this will this will surprise people in the real world who have real gaming lives and know lots of people who play games, not like us. It's the first time that I've played RPGs with games masters other than you already. Now I've played one shots at conventions with other games masters. 
But what about know. Kevin? There was Kevin. There was Kevin. But, but he don't count. You blocked him. He don't count because because Simon. Yeah, but they don't count. They don't count because they're they're in that category of people who were having fun when we weren't having fun, so we weren't <laughs> doing it right. What I mean is, it's the first time I've played with proper good games masters who were not you and Eddie <laughs> over a period of time. So I've played Star Trek with Matthew Broom, running Matthew Broom's on Star Trek, the new Modiphius game, uh, and I played Hero's Journey with Neil. Um, and that was an interesting experience because you got that opportunity to see how other people do it, you know. So Star Trek is the new, that's it, that's the new one, isn't it? The new one that's the, the new one, and yes. Is that the one with the 2D20s? So yes, it's a 2D20 one. system, which is a bit, it's a, di- it's a dice pool system. You, you roll 2D20 and you have a target number, so you've got a target number, um, say, I don't know, 11. And it's rolling under, not over. So your D&D brain kicks in and you think, oh, wait, two twenties, And you go, oh, no, that's a disaster. So you have to roll under a certain number. So say it's 12 or less. Yeah. Um, depending on the difficulty, you, you have, say, you, if it's standard difficulty, it's roll under 12 once, if, it, if the target number is 12. Roll under 12 once on 2D20. But if it's, really, if it's more difficult, it might be two, roll under 12 twice on 2D20. But it can be three or four, roll under the number three or four times. And what you've got to do is buy D20s, by getting other people to assist you. Or if you're on a starship, you can Star Trek, you can use the starship to assist you and give you an extra dice. Oh, right. Or you can use moment, what are called momentum points, which you gather during the game. But like, not quite like luck points. You can spend momentum points, which can give you more dice. So something really tricky, maybe. I think it ranges from one to five, so it may be four rolls under ten on D20s and you've only got two but you're going to have to buy some more so someone might assist you the ship might technology on the ship might assist you you might spend a couple of momentum points to get some extra dice that kind of thing so you can build up a dice pool to do more difficult things when I first read the rules it was one of those things I thought hang on a minute and I've got two D20 can I roll under the number three times but in play it does work quite well it kind of once you get your head around it it is quite an interesting system, and it, it is that thing of it in, what it encourages. And I don't know if this is the setting of Star Trek, because obviously it's Star Trek, so you're on a ship, and one player is the captain, and another player is more senior, people more senior to you. Oh. You know, because they're captain, so you can't be disobedient. I like the sound of this already. You, 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 you like it. <laughs> yes, you would. You could be a megalomania as a player. <laughs> yeah. But um, there is an element of that to it. But I also think the system with things like assistance, um, momentum points, which are a group pool, encourage kind of um, cooperation between players. Right. So it's quite a good system where you gel together as a team uh, to do things because you all kind of have to help each other to achieve things. So sometimes. I was going to ask you that. How does it work with the setting? Does it... Fit the, the mechanics fit the setting very well, or do they feel? Because it's a ge- generic uh, rule set, isn't it? Because they use it for corn and don't they? Yeah, it is. It's generic, but it, it works well. The, the starship um, rules are quite good. I like the fact that the um, starship rules, um, the, the sheet. It's not really a character sheet, is it? But for want of a better term, the character sheet for a starship mirrors the character sheet for a person to some extent. So it's easy to understand how your starship operates because it's the same as the player character operates. 
as kind of statistics to some extent that are very, very similar. Which is useful because in Star, Star Trek, being on a big spaceship is part of the game, isn't it? You know, in the TV yeah. shows, that's a big part of it, that you're on a big spaceship. I think that's quite difficult to... Um, that's difficult to replicate in a role-playing game, isn't it? Yeah. You know, but they do it quite well because the starship feels like a character, if that makes sense. Because it's, because it's a very similar sheet to a character. You can look at your character, once you understand your character, you can look at the starship sheet and go, ah, right, I get it, it's very similar to me. So I might have a medical skill, but the ship's got a medical skill. And that's not a skill, but it's like the sick bear. So, you know, it might have a very good medical facilities, or it might not. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that works very well, I think, because I do think it's a problem in science fiction games, isn't it? Yeah. The starship, the ship you're on, sometimes seems a bit yeah. I'd out like of to kilter with the characters. I'd like, like to give it a try this year, so that, that, that was good. And The Hero's Journey, that's uh, one of those OSR games. Yeah, that's it? like an old school thing, yeah. It was very well received at Grog Meet this year, because we ran uh, Grog Meet this year again in uh, November. And uh, Neil used it, didn't he, to do uh, Round the Bend, which is the classic uh, game that appeared in Imagine magazine, where uh, half orcs go down the plug hole. But that's that's quite. uh, It is old school, so it has a very similar feel to it to the original Advanced D and D. Yeah, like to think I was playing basic D and D. (laughs) But um, one of the the rules I particularly like about it is a rule that if you if you're using a weapon and you roll a critical if you've rolled eventually when you've rolled sort of I think it's ten criticals so you tick off the number of criticals you get with a weapon that weapon becomes magical it becomes mythical well, that's as in you know like trick, it's, yeah. it's done so many wonderful blows and what was really funny was uh, the first game we played Rick Knott played uh, a halfling and we were stripped of weapons so he used a rock and got several criticals so he was slowly developing a mythical Magical rock, wow, clubbing people's death with, <laughs> which was quite funny. So that that was an interesting game. But both in both games, it, it's been interesting to play with another games master. I'm, I'm, I know I've played with. When I say you and Eddie, I mean you and Eddie are good games masters. Yeah, yeah. We've yeah. we've played with other yeah, games yeah, masters, yeah, yeah, but yeah. they've not really been. Yeah. They've not been that good. They've not really been into it. You know, I mean, with, in the case of Simon, we were kind of forced him to be a games master, which was. A disaster, uh, but you know Matthew and Neil, good games masters, engaged with it, um, and it's interesting to play and see how games are run differently. I mean, they're not run usually different from where we do it, but even yeah. so, you pick up things, you know, tips and tricks that people develop. Okay, so the winner of the Olive Kinsberg plays plays and playing and play PPP award, yeah, play games award. I'm gonna. I give it to the UK Games Expo and the Story Games experience. Yeah, okay. Just rub me nose in it again. <laughs> Why don't you? Post back. Regular listeners will know that the original concept of the Grognard Files was written as a memoir that we intended to write up and sell as an e-book on Amazon. We were inspired by Mark Barrowcliffe's wonderful book, The Elvish Gene, Dungeons and Dragons and Growing Up Strange. We never got round to doing it, but someone who did was Mark Hydes, who produced Real Life's A Bugger, a tale of sex, dragons and rock and roll. Mark discovered our podcast this year and has been making comments on posts on the grognardfiles.com and comments like this one about episode 12 
which was all about Gaines Workshop. I still have my very first carrier bag from Gaines Workshop Sheffield with Ian McKaig artwork. It comes out every now and again to be gazed upon. Ah, those were the days. I was arguably the first paying customer when Gaines Workshop came to Sheffield. My mate Alan wanted a record from Virgin Records. Virgin Records was not the shining family-friendly store that it would become in later years. It was a dark and foreboding place, as I recalled, and if the rumours were true, a clean-living lad would meet a swift and sticky end at the hands of mods, punks and other ne'er-do-wells. I never went in, and had my parents discovered that I frequented the shop with such a sexual name, I'd been grounded for a year or so. So whenever Alan went in there, I just hung around outside and tried to look moody and mysterious, but approachable and not in the least bit dangerous. This was not easy. Well, the meaning moony bit anyway. Then there it was. The answer to my prayers, the beginning of a life of penury in the shape of a specialist gaming establishment by the name of Gaines Workshop, the first of several dedicated game stores in Sheffield. It was back then, with its amazingly broad range and enthusiastic and knowledgeable staff and distinct ambience, a place of almost holy reverence for my generation. It was, in essence, my place of worship and weekly offerings were to the gods of games in ever-increasing amounts, a pattern that has continued ever since. We walked in, our heads twisting, our eyes swivelling like nervous chameleons who, having fallen from their comfortable, familiar treetop perch, find themselves on the back of a monitor lizard in the process of considering what it will be having for its dinner. From all sides, our senses were assaulted by literally thousands of striking box covers depicting all kinds of fantasy and science fiction theme imaginable, from half-naked princesses to gigantic starship. Although we didn't know it back then, the Sheffield-based synth-pop band, the Human League, took their name from one of the factions in a game titled Star Force Alpha Centauri. Just a brief aside... It shows the popularity of this time of game, even in the most unexpected places. In the centre of the sales area were wire bins, containing various special offers, coinciding with the opening of the branch. My eye was taken by four small boxes, luridly illustrated a la mode, each containing ten plastic figures, half a dozen acrylic paints, a terrible brush, and two six-sided dice, and a set of rules. Each of these games presented a mini role-playing experience with all that the lucky purchaser needed, and what's more, they were priced at £1. We picked up one called The Cleric's Quest, and Alan, The Woman Warrior, although the name of the other titles escaped me at the time of writing. We'd been there for about ten minutes before being approached by a member of staff. The man approached us and said that the, the shop wasn't open. We precociously pointed out that it most certainly was, the proof being that we were in said store, having walked through the doors. Thank you very much. How we were not slaughtered on the spot still amazes me to this day. It opens this weekend, and it's going to be great. Do you want that? This he said to the box I was holding, and to Alan's fistful of goodies. Yes, please. I'm sorry, I thought you were open. What with the door being open? I replied my natural state of being returning despite my indignant outburst. On reflection, I think that this was the defining moment 
which stood my personal crossroad. It was a point in which I believe to this day I very consciously gave up on the mundane and truly took on my first tentative but deliberate steps into the realms beyond reality, never to return for more than a brief period of rest and recuperation. Once or twice I was to lose the path, but sure as eggs are chickens, I found my way back, wandering ever deeper into the metaphorical forest that was gaming. Review of the year! Oh, welcome back, Grog Squadron. Uh, we're uh, up to the next bit, and this is the um, um, crit hit on an encounter table, it says on the, uh, right. on, on the, on the spurious envelope. <laughs> and this is the uh, best convention award. But plenty a couple of conventions. Obviously, I've been to more conventions than you this year. Because, uh, but we went to Convergence, where we played the Luther Arkwright game. Yes, that was good. Uh, that, that was good, wasn't it? And we had our own convention, Grogmeet. Mm. I wonder which, which one will win the award. And it's Grogmeet. That's the second year in a row that it's won the award, isn't it? Yeah, second, good. second year. Well yeah. done, well done. Well done, Grogmeet. And, and whoever organises that. Yeah, we'll pass that on to the organisers. Can't be here today, but I'm sure they'll... Uh, we'll, we'll accept the award on their behalf, won't we? Yeah. <laughs> Let's look at the uh, low points. Oh. Okay, and this beer is envelope. Putting Expo aside. Yeah. I think it's the realisation that there's always so much time for gaming that that's what i realized this year that was what uh, dawned yeah. on me and I, I know that's kind of sounds obvious but it's not obvious when in days gone by we couldn't find players yeah uh now what i found i mean i've talked about playing star trek playing storm king's thunder online playing hero's journey and i've had to kind of turn stuff down so yeah. I've had to kind of back out of Hero's Journey because I've realised I just can't fit it all in. And that, that is a slightly depressing thought that real life does get in the way. We're in, we're in a situation where it's because of online gaming uh, and because of social media and what have you, we know loads and loads of people who play role play. And they're all good at it as well. They're all into it. They're all good at it. I know now if I put something on Twitter saying I'm running a game of whatever uh, in a couple of weeks, who's up for it? I'd get players like that, just yeah, yeah. straight away. And that was never the case. Was that, was ne that was never the case, never the case. And they'd be good players if people are into it um, and they'd have a great time. But it's the realisation that, oh, hang on a minute, I, I, can't, I can't do all that because I just have not got the time. I've got to fit in real life. And the statistics speak for themselves, don't mm. they? So this year yeah. we, we played more than ever. I mean, when you think, I think some of it's down to doing this, isn't it? Doing the grog pod, which yeah. introduces yeah. to um, all the players and increase the opportunities. Um, but you know, there are times, I mean, though that number is bumped up by me having a 24 hour game. Yeah, I played yeah, in November. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I played. Um, but that's an example, isn't it? I, I couldn't go to that because of other commitments. And, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, I suppose, going back to the expo thing, I couldn't do that because I work. It's that problem of there's all yeah. this stuff out there. But real life gets in the way. Yeah. <laughs> That's but, annoying. But I think also, um, what I realised in November is, you know, I had a suffit. So we had Grogmeat. Mm -hmm. grog I had a great yeah. time with Grogmeat. It was great to meet everybody again. And the week after, I did the 24-hour uh, uh, yeah. game. And we had the online game. There was a point in November when I was uh, sent doing... Um, Zines. Fish fingers that uh, was starting to go through. <laughs> fish fingers. You, know, you have a fish fingers moment. I, I have a fish fingers moment. I just mm. felt like overwhelmed by it all. The Captain Bird's Eye Award for fish fingers. I'm coming back to the. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
<laughs> Captain Birdseye Award for lowest roleplay moment. What what I said, <laughs> Captain Birdseye Award. What um, what I realised is that you know you have to be very careful, don't you? That you know one of the reasons why we stopped playing was that mm. it got too much, didn't it? It got too much and it got on our nerves. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. when the fun stops, you really. And I think we are. When the fun that. stops, you're doing it wrong. I think we should coin that as a. That should be our. That can be our phrase. <laughs> yeah. When the fun stops, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. It's time um, to stop. Time to stop. And I think there, there is that that balance, isn't there? And you're right that there is only so much time for uh, for gaming. And we've kind of hit our stride, I think, as feeling gamers. like we're gamers again. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Playing modern games, new games, games with lots of people. And back in the day, as you say, it was the opposite. In some respects, it was the opposite. We didn't have a real life. No. But we had loads of time, but no one to play with. No, that's right. You know, whereas now we've we've got, you know... I mean, because that's, that's a weird thing, isn't it? We, we've kind of um, gone all John and Yoko. Now we've an open relationship with gaming now. I play, a, I play Star Trek. You don't play it. You've played games that I've not played. Yeah. That's been, a new thing, We're more promiscuous. We're we promiscuous gamers. Not just gamers. Well, on, on, that subject, on that subject, I'm going to uh, talk about my low point. It's not really gaming related, but it was a particular low point. It could have ended everything. Oh, go on. Um, People are really nervous now. You're going to yeah. share something that they don't want you to share. Yeah, well, it only happened a few weeks ago. Um, I, when, I, when I set up the, uh, when I set up the, the dice and the, and the grognard files, oh, yeah. I set it up on Twitter a mm. long time ago. And um, I set it up with a password that was very easy to remember. Was it Fish Fingers? It wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> it, was something, it was something more stupid than that. I didn't make it very safe because there wasn't any compulsion to make it safe. Who cares? Who's going to hack your stupid account? What, what, what's the worst that can happen? Turns out that the worst that can happen is that your timeline gets flooded with Arabic porn. Oh, oh right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's. Uh, Do you know I didn't see any of that. <laughs> I, I, I was at work and my internet was switched off, and I only found out after the event. I looked at the timeline; there was nothing there. Yeah, I well, missed it again. What, uh, what, what happened? If you can picture the scene, I was on the bus, right? yeah. and I got this uh, notification through, and it said, "Dude, why are you retweeting porn?" Dude, dude. Oh, if you knew him, he's not a dude. <laughs> if you knew him, dude, dude. Why are you retweeting porn? And I thought, and the day before I'd put a, a Golden Heroes cover on, you know, they yeah, cover yeah. Golden Heroes. Yeah. And I thought, oh, they're making a, a reference to this. A bit racy, isn't it? A bit racy, isn't it? A bit racy. The suit's a bit close. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I put I put my phone back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another notification coming in. Dude. Dude. Another, this is someone else, this. Two people going, dude. Dude. These people don't. I, I, think, I think when you get hackers, you have to have the patois of a, you know, a cyberpunk patois. Dude. Everybody calls you dude. Dude. Street, it's more street. Yeah. Dude, your account's been hacked. And then more came through. Uh, your account's been hacked. Somebody's hacking your account. Mm. I thought, bloody hell, what's happening? So I, I looked, and there it was. Beautiful calligraphic writing. Accompanied by pornography. Accompanied by pornography. <laughs> I say it could have been uh, Ackle, you know, the uh, Eldritch sign, the great old ones. But yeah. If it was, it'd been easy to cope with, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would have been. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of hacking your account. Uh, I'm used to that. 
if, uh, <laughs> if Cthulhu's mission is to flood timelines with ladies' bottoms, then we, I don't think we have anything to worry about. No, no, no. But yeah, but you can imagine, I was on the bus and all this started coming through and I started getting anxious mm. and I was trying to, I was pressing the button, uh, stopping the retweets and it kept, they kept coming and coming and coming and oh coming and coming oh. and I thought, oh my God. And if you look on the phone, there is no way of resetting your password on the application. Yeah. Um, so I was, I, what can I do? I thought. Well, would resetting your password work at that stage? I don't know. I don't, you, I, they're already in, aren't they? So too late. But, um, people were giving me um, tips, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, try resetting your password. Reset your password. That's your first thing. Um, you know, they kept coming through. Kept coming and coming. Like I said, and I thought I'm going to have to delete my account. Yeah. I can't. And and it's like losing a high score, isn't it? Because I've got all those <laughs> followers. And I thought, and if if I'd have done that, that'd yeah. have been it then. I'd have just, right, I'd have fallen out with it. Mm, yeah. I was on the cusp. It was, it, and I managed to work out if you say that you've forgotten your password, they reset it. And I went in and it's on a two factor ID. Everybody do that because it's very easy uh, to happen. I must have opened up something I shouldn't, I don't know what. Yeah. But that's my story and I'm sticking to it. But, <laughs> but yeah, my, I was overtaken by um, Arabian palm bots. And uh, the worst thing about it was, I got off the bus, I was somewhere near Buddy Preston. Oh, am I? <laughs> Miles away from home. <laughs> so you were almost, in a sense, you were kidnapped. <laughs> I was. By Arabian porn bots, yeah. in a sense. It's all gone now. <laughs> but that was the low point. That is a bit of a low point. My, mine fails into insignificance. <laughs> mine, my, just minor gripe, I don't have enough time for gaming. So yeah. the uh, Captain Birdseye award goes to... The uh, Arabian porn bots will send it off to you. We'll send it off to them. They can't be here today either. Postbag! If you've seen the second grog scene, then you'll know that it features a couple of great scenarios. A Judge Dread RPG one from At Daily Dwarf and a Call of Cthulhu one which was written by Rog Coe, who also laid out and illustrated the two scenarios in a distinctly White Dwarf style. When Rog discovered the podcast earlier this year, he provided some interesting reflections on some of the topics under discussion, like this one about the cartography in Imagine magazine. One of the things that would generally make or break my decision to buy a copy of Imagine back then was Paul Ruse, a.k.a. Jeff Wingate, the bloke responsible for some of the best RPG cartography ever, in my opinion. His work on the generally impressive UK AD&D modules is stellar and with lots of them having quite three-dimensional and conceptually different settings, it needed someone with a real talent to get that across. Blue OSR grid maps wouldn't have cut it. Isometric visualisations of the area, top-down plans, all work together seamlessly, neat and rational maps with some architectural rigour, yet with a little wobble in the line now and again to keep it human, or some small boulders or dots clinging to a corner, and his trademarked handwritten keying. His work on the B-X10 UK module sets the standard really, helping to keep together and illustrate a sprawling campaign. It's a work of art. I'm sorry if I'm gushing, I could go on, but he really is an overlooked master 
it seems. Doing the buildings in uh, Warhammer Fantasy role-playing rulebook and the maps in the Dragon Warriors book 4 and 5, I think. 6 being the one illustrated by Russ Nicholson. What a combo. Oh, the Chaos Seam early maps are great with the heavy black ink and quick spiky detailing and the text. Don't get me wrong. And there's excellent cartographer Dyson Logos doing some amazing map work now over at Dyson's Dokahedron. But for me, Paul, stroke Jeff, is the master. Just a shame that maps don't come across well on podcasts. Any chance of a future interview with him, Dirk? Thanks for that, Rog. I contacted Jeff. Unfortunately, he doesn't do any artwork these days. He said this to me. I wouldn't know where to start. The last D&D and Imagine artwork I did was about 35 years ago in the mid-80s. But I'm flattered that you dug up my name from the past. In the grogzine, Paul Coburn has written Whatever Happened to Nick Novice comic strip. As Jeff was not available to illustrate it, the reins were taken up by the wonderful Wayne Peters, a name that will be familiar to listeners of YSDC output. He's also a frequent contributor to the grognardfiles.com comments with posts like this one about the most hotly anticipated game of 2018, RuneQuest role-playing in Glorantha, after playing a quick starter with Andrew Jones, a gentleman of this parish. My character, Vasana, leapt off the page as a cross between Xena and Wonder Woman. She felt experienced and capable and effective. I don't know if she was a starter character or had been designed at a higher level, but even though she ultimately didn't survive the scenario, she felt rounded and it was a joy to play. Indeed, just reading the characters' backgrounds before we started playing, I immediately fell in love with Glorantha. I loved that the characters had a backstory of glorious battles and a family heritage. This, apparently, is all part of character creation and it gave me a real sense of motivation, duty and loyalty. I loved that the setting was more Bronze Age than D&D's usual Dark Ages medieval and that slight Conan slant gave the refreshing edge I needed after spending three years solidly playing D&D 5th edition as much as I like D&D 5th edition. I loved everything. I was saturated with magic. Everyone knows spells. Every item is painted with runes and have magical properties. People are tattooed with runes as well. Fabric is woven within them. It's fabulous. Review of the year. Last bit. So you play Blaze in the Dark. What do you, what do you think of that? I, th- I, I think that's a contender, me personally, mm. for our award, before we get into it, I'm proposing this before you got it worded. You, you are, aren't you? I propose, for, for the game of the you year, won the for the new... Award, <laughs> as usual. But go on, carry on, being a megalomania. Carry on, barrelling through. <laughs> He's barrelling through again, isn't he? He's not learned anything. You've not learned anything about your, with your GMI. What I'm going to propose, what I'm going to propose here, what I'm going to propose here is that Blades in the Dark is a new game that we've played is the uh, new kid on the top the table <laughs> the top. new kid on the table top yeah. award yeah yeah well uh, yeah I suppose Cause, it's, the uh, new, it's the new game we played yeah. D&D 5th edition won it last year so this yes. year yeah, yeah. so Blades and Dark won as a player what's your experience of it 
Well, I think the first game we played, I, I think it's a, it's a good setting, um, and it's kind of it, it does fire your imagination. It's an interesting setting. Um, I think the first game we played of it, uh, it was a bit odd because it again it, it's the scalability thing, isn't it? So you don't, yeah. it's not you're playing a character, but you're forming a gang in a kind of criminal fantasy criminal city that's a bit like I don't know what it's like like a kind of renaissance kind of city isn't it yeah a magical place you can't call it it's, and... you can't really call it steampunk it's more no, really um, a bit pre-steampunk isn't yeah, it yeah it's um, it, it's like Victoriana renaissance like decrepit yeah 18, I imagine it's like 18th century yeah tricorn hats that yeah. kind of thing yeah going yeah. out but yeah, even so but it, I think and it's it is a simple system, but it de- it has a few weird concepts in it, doesn't it? About you know you can have flashbacks in it, can't you? Where yeah. you can you can plan something, but then you can refer back and say, ah, well at this point, what I would have done is this. I've done this. I've done. So you meet a guard. I suppose in simplest terms, you meet a guard that you're not expecting, and you can say, all right, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to flashback. I would have bribed this guard. I found out where he drinks. Yeah. Tavani drinks in, and I would have bribed him to let us through. You can do things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's actually a lot of things going on, isn't there? Yeah. So for it is a story game, and uh, I'll explain why I think it is a story game in a moment. But there is a lot of things going on because, as well as your character, your playbook that you develop, yeah. you've got your gang as well, haven't you? Yeah. So, so you've got like NPCs. I suppose it, it reminded me a bit, and um, we've not played this game, but it reminded me a bit of uh, Ars Magica where when I was looking at the rules of Ars Magica you have that thing where there's a wizard but he's his henchman so there's a stable of characters and it's not, it's it not quite like that but it has a similar feel to it in the in principle it is but I, I, there's, there's a lot less to it than uh, Ars oh no 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 there's a, there's a game system but, but what I mean is that the idea there's that idea isn't there Ars Magica of there's a wizard um, but there's also his henchman and Agents out in the world who are yeah. looking for him. So your gang thing. can be like that. Yeah, like, and that's what that's what I mean. It's not the same as Asmodee in any other sense. And it feels like a sense of part of your uh, part of your uh, role as a player mm-hmm. is to develop your character, but also develop your gang and uh, yeah, and develop kind of power, build a power base. Yeah. So it's a very it is a very um, what's what's the word? Not not straight jacketed, but it, that's sort of negative, but. It's very thematic in terms of it's a role playing game where you're criminals in this fantasy city and you form a gang and you build your power base and that's what you do. That's yes. what you do. You don't do anything else. It's very so focused. It's yeah. Very, yeah, that's the way. It's focused on that particular thing. So it's not a game where you can do anything with it. No. It, but at the same time, because it's very focused, it's very good at what it does, I think. Yeah. I think part of the thing is that you're trapped in the city because there's this uh, ectoplasmic yeah, wall yeah, yeah. that's sealing the city off from the rest of the mm. um, the world. So you've nowhere to run. Yeah. So as um, characters, you have got to face the consequences of your actions. So if you do a heist on a, on a rival gang, mm. there's nowhere to nowhere run. To run to, yeah. And there's a lot of different elements to help you. Um, one of the things I like is rival gangs can then um, set kind of a track um, to kind of um, yeah. try and seek you out 
and you can deploy some of your resources yeah. to make it more difficult for them. And in yeah. some ways, it's like a, those downtime things are a lot like um, a lot like a board game, aren't they? They are a little bit, yeah, because yeah. You, yeah, you have downtime where things happen, but they're not they're not played out in real time. But the reason why I think it's a story game and it's a it's a culmination of my year of trying to understand story games is that it's very low prep. I turned up and I didn't have anything. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and we just created a story. Yeah, uh, and that second one worked really well. It did, it? yeah, and it's built around that idea, isn't it? That you don't necessarily, as a game master, have to prepare anything. You no. can just play it, and the the game system helps you work it all out. I know, and again, that's the collaborative thing, isn't it? Where yeah. As a as a player in Blazing the Dark, you're more than ever pushed into a position where, okay, what are you going to do, and how are you going to do it? You tell me how you're going to do it. And yeah. then we'll negotiate how that works out. Yeah. So there's no requirement for you to build a scenario for the players. You know, it's it's about the players saying we're going to expand our power base as a gang. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Yeah. And build it up from the ground, I suppose. Build it up from nothing into a yeah, adventure. Yeah. You know. And, it, and it's things like you know you were asked to uh, um, retrieve somebody from uh, prison who's been released from prison yeah. and take him back to the gang mm. but you decided not to because he persuaded you yeah, yeah. Uh, to yeah. take it does, have a, it does have a real sandboxy feel to it but I think what's interesting is it does have that sandbox feel but that in order for the game to cope with that it has to it's almost like it has to work in a slightly different way from a regular role playing game if that makes yeah. sense Yeah. so the thing about flashbacks and you have those pie chart things, don't you? Where yeah, you, you yeah. Clocks. Have clocks, clocks and things like that. But it's like those things have to be in there, um, which seem a bit counterintuitive from a, from a traditional role-playing game. You know, in a normal yeah. role-playing game, you wouldn't let somebody have a flashback and say, oh, don't worry about this. I've seen this coming. I've done this. Yeah. But it, because it has those elements in it, those elements of, I said, they're, they're kind of counterintuitive but they're there to enable it to run without preparation and in that kind of more collaborative way without the game falling apart and I suppose without the games master because that's always the worry with those kind of things isn't it that there's a games master sitting there and going alright okay what are you doing oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I didn't think you'd do that I'm not prepared anything but, it, but it's built in such a way that that's not a question Yeah, I, it's not an issue to say I didn't think you'd do that it, it's built into the, the game mechanism. The system can cope with that. Yeah, that, that makes and sense. And it's um, and it's not a crunchy system by any means. But there's a lot going on and a lot of cogs yeah. whirring to make yeah. it work. Yes, uh, yeah. It's the, it is. It's a simple system, but as you say, there are different. There's lots of different simple aspects all happening at the same time. So it, it feels a bit like plate spinning. Yeah, you've got to keep everything spinning, haven't you? Yeah, as a player. I'm, more, more of it, more as a player actually. The yeah, games master. Exactly. In some yeah. ways, the pressure really is on the player yeah. to do whatever they want to do and keep track of everything and develop things. And in some ways, the pressure's off the games master really. Yeah. So that was a, a long way of uh, doing two things. First off, we've awarded a new kid on yeah. the top, the tabletop, <laughs> the tabletop to, to uh, Blades in the Dark. So we're going to exchange gifts. Yes.
Okay, so what, 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 what are you after this year? Um, I, it's Anathar's Guide to Everything. I quite like the look of that. It's a new D&D supplement. Okay. Isn't it? Oh. I think there's a t- touch of unearthed arcana about it. You know, lots of extra character classes and subclasses and spells. Because we haven't got enough, have we? No. <laughs> no. I'll probably go to my grave and never play a monk or a warlock. Well, there you go. Well, I'm very interested in uh, Vert. Oh, the, yeah. Um, the Cypher system uh, game that's based on um, Jeff Noons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jeff Noons. Set in Manchester. Set in Manchester oh, and Bolton and all around the area. Set in a far future where uh, there's like parallel realities. I'll well, buy that for Christmas if you want. How much is it? 65 quid. I'll give you 20 quid to all. <laughs> <laughs> Final offer. Done. <laughs> Done. <laughs> I'm not falling for that one. So, what's your uh, New Year's resolution for 2018? I think, I think we know what that one is go to Expo. And Teresa, if you're listening, or whoever happens to be Prime Minister when this is broadcast, don't have a general election. Or if you do, <laughs> not when Expo's happening. I don't think there's any risk of that. Strong and stable. Strong and stable, there isn't any. There's no risk of another general election, is there? Because <laughs> they're rock solid, aren't they? Mm. Uh, What's yours? My New Year's resolution, I'm going to, um, this year, I'm going to do some more games mastering. I think that might be part of the issue. Mm. You know, when you think since we started playing against in 2010, I've been running a campaign continually yeah. uh, in that time. Since uh, the Traveller game ended, I've mm. not had a regular campaign. No, you've not actually, that's true, you've been more one shot. So it'll be the one shot year. The one shot year, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I think this year I'm going to um, run a campaign. Run a campaign, yeah. And I think it's probably going to be um, the Two Headed Serpent. I'm going to run that online. Sounds good. Okay. Right, I'll let you get back to your mince pie. Cheers. I shall uh, see you soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye. There isn't another bit. There'll be some people listening to this who'll be aware that it's supposed to include paranoia. The Patreons who generously support this podcast with financial tips every month help to cover the cost and fund supporting projects, voted on election day this year and determined that we're to do an episode on paranoia. Don't worry, the computer is still your friend. The episode is coming soon. We haven't played it yet, and it wouldn't be right for us to compromise our integrity by reviewing a game we haven't played. We'll leave compromising our integrity to Arabian porn bots. We have some new patrons joining the Grog Squad. Thank you to them. I'll give you all an individual mention next time. And if you join now, the PDF of the second Grog Zine will be made available to you. Next time. Well, next time, Earthlets, we'll be patrolling the streets of Mecha City 1 with Judge Dredd, the role-playing game, and remembering how 2000 AD influenced our gaming. We also have a great interview with Mark Gascoigne, the genius behind the game and many, many, many other products from the period. We're looking forward to putting an episode together for you. I'm going to be running the Grogzine Judge Dredd scenario, Better Living Through Chemistry, at Spaghetti Conjunction in Birmingham on the 10th of February 2018. See the show notes for details. Before I go, a final thank you to all the contributors for 2017. And to you, the Grog Squad, the people who listen to this bobbins. All the very best to you and yours. Adios, amigos.